Today's episode is brought to you by Metroid Dread. It's a cool game. It's really good. I've been really enjoying it. And believe it or not, it actually has something to do with 1999's Brookman and Forte, Mirai Kara no Chosensha, or, if you prefer, Mega Man and Base Challenger from the Future, on today's episode of What Am I Podcasting For? Hello, and welcome to What Am I Podcasting For? My name's Carlisle, and this show is the chronicle of my attempts to play through the entire Mega Man series, from Mega Man 1 to Mega Man 11, and as many of the hundred-plus games in between as I can. Today's episode is a bit of an unusual title. Challenger from the Future is sort of the sequel to Mega Man and Base, sort of a sequel to Mega Man World 2, not actually designed in-house by Capcom, and was released for a handheld that is kind of an interesting little thing to talk about by the name of the Wonder Swan. If you've never heard of Bandai's Wonder Swan, there's a good reason for that. It never left Japan. The Wonder Swan was developed in roughly 1997 with the intention of being a competitor to the Neo Geo Pocket Color and the Game Boy Color. Interestingly, despite the fact that these were color systems it was competing against, the Wonder Swan opted for a black and white display that helped apparently keep the price point very, very low and gain some popularity as a result of that accessibility. Of course, it never became, like, a huge smashing hit. This is not like the way that Sega really competed with Nintendo in the past. Nonetheless, Bandai did manage to carve out a number of different titles onto this system and its color variant in the future. The system's lifespan lasted a handful of years, and we will be coming back to it in its color upgrade variant that it got a couple years later, but this is the only Mega Man game to appear on the Wonder Swan baseline. In some ways, the Wonder Swan is very familiar to the Game Boy. But it has a few defining features that also set it apart other than just being a cheap Game Boy alternative, which is something that we'll get into later in this episode when it becomes relevant for this. But one thing to note as we launch into this game is that the Wonder Swan actually features more of a widescreen layout, as opposed to the square screen that was being used by the Game Boy and the Neo Geo Pocket. And this does actually benefit the capacity for level design, theoretically, We'll find out that that's not really the truth, but one of the things that definitely struggled the world games was being locked to an extremely small resolution and having to design everything around limited square spaces. This has the capacity to actually feel like a Mega Man game in some ways that the Game Boy games couldn't quite do. One interesting thing that I do want to note about the Wonder Swan as well before we start talking about the game, is that the Wonder Swan was apparently being developed by Gunpei Yokoi, the man who designed the Game Boy and the Virtual Boy. He left Nintendo and went on to actually build this system, but unfortunately actually apparently passed away in the midst of developing this system. And if you're wondering what else he did, he was also responsible for creating series like Metroid and Kid Icarus. So it's kind of fitting that I played this game, like, around the same time as I'm playing Metroid Dread which should date this recording pretty well. And I'm going to try my best to judge this game fairly in spite of the fact that I am playing it alongside an absolutely amazing game, in spite of that, this video game. Okay, let's get this off my chest immediately here. This is a sequel 
to Mega Man and Base. I said Mega Man and Base was one of my favorite Mega Man games that I've played for the podcast so far. I still stand by that, and I was disappointed in this game. And it is trying to hold up to the original Mega Man and base. We still have the ability to pick both characters, and they are still defined by their different traits. But, well, okay, let's let's back up and talk about the two characters. They do handle almost the same, but there is some subtle differences. A Mega Man still has the advantage of the charge shot in this game, and it's really good. In fact, Mega's charge shot is the best it has ever been in the series, as it does four times the damage on charge. But his ability to slide isn't nearly as much of an advantage in this game, because the level design doesn't really do anything interesting with that. There's one level in this entire game where he takes an even slightly different route from base as a result of being able to slide. Occasionally, he can slide under some spikes that base can't dash under to get, like, an extra health power-up, and that's it. And he has some significant trouble in this game with certain bosses because of his lack of aerial mobility. His jump just barely clears most enemies in this game that rush to tackle you, and that becomes a problem. But at least Mega Man can kill regular enemies. If Mega Man's weaponry got upgraded and is kind of his shining point in this game, Base's double jump is definitely his advantage because his dash kind of sucks. They didn't keep the mechanic of his dash conserving momentum into his jumps and stuff, so it feels kind of bad, honestly. But also, Base's buster is absolutely garbage in this game. It isn't weaker than Mega Man's regular buster shots against bosses, although bosses seem to have way more health than normal, and that's before getting into the occasional boss that has twice the health for some reason. But against regular enemies, Base's buster shots do literally half the damage that Mega Man's uncharged shots do, which is an absolute nightmare to play with. Everything in this game takes so bloody long for Base to kill. He becomes completely reliant on special weapons in order for the game to feel decent. To be fair, the special weapon set in this game is amazing, and we'll come back to it, but Mega Man and Base actually have some different weapons in this game, which is a cool thing that I will give this game credit for. But this game only ever refills your weapon energy if you get a complete game over. The entire game is treated like you're in Wily's Fortress. Similar to Mega Man and Base, I think this is the first portable Mega Man game to have a save system, if I haven't forgotten something. Also similar to Mega Man and Base, there's a whole shopping system. And this game even introduced a couple new power-ups in that Mega Man can call Tango to do a world game-style attack of bouncing around the screen and damaging enemies a bunch. Base, interestingly, can actually summon Reggae from Rockboard, of all goddamn things. That's stupid stupid mocking vulture who shows up with an HP item kind of like base's own personal Eddie, except they f***ed up the shop system. So, part of the reason the shop system worked so well in Mega Man and Base was that due to the lab puzzle stage thing, you were guaranteed to have an absolute fortune in bolts to actually spend. In this game, you could finish the entire game and get maybe 250 ish bolts throughout your entire playthrough, even fewer if you're actually good at the game. And that still won't be enough to buy a single item for many of the items in this game. And also, if it's any item that you activate, such as the Rush Coil or Eddie coming down to give you a heal, it's a one-time use item. You can literally spend an entire game worth of savings to buy Eddie to show up and give you one health refill. And if that sounds like it doesn't bode well for this game, don't worry, you're right, it doesn't.
Challenger from the Future is set in Symphony City, which comes under attack from a mysterious group of robots named Dimension, led by a robot who looks suspiciously like Mega Man, just with a V on his helmet. So kind of like Quint, or honestly kind of like Mega Man X, and we'll come back to that. Both Mega Man and Base are sent by their respective doctors to investigate, and the leader names himself Rockman Shadow, claiming that the world is going to be his, and that if anybody wants to stop him, they're going to have to fight their way to him. Whichever character we pick, we move on pretty much immediately to the opening stage, which sets us up for just the absolute train wreck that this game is, with precise slides underneath of spikes, and also the series is worst metars. Metars have been a series staple. If I haven't covered them or you don't remember them, metars are these little, like, literally they're just hard hats that sit on the ground. But then when you get close to them, they, like, lift up and you can see, like, googly eyes looking at you and they'll fire a shot at you and then they'll hide back under the hard hat. And the idea of the enemies is you have to approach them and time your shots in a way that takes them out before they fire their shot and go invincible again, because the hard hat will deflect your attacks. It's a Mega Man staple. The Metars in this game require multiple shots to be taken down, fire their shots extremely fast, and are vulnerable for like maybe five frames. They are absolutely brutal to time correctly, and successfully get out of the way of the attack. And it's just one of the first demonstrations that this game tried to emulate certain Mega Man things without understanding why they were the way they were. In true fashion to Mega Man and Base, the boss fight at the end of this stage is one of the devils, kind of as a tutorial boss. This one's much smaller than usual, and has an extremely strict and actually fairly fast pattern for a devil. He is no absolute joke the way that the original Mega Man and Base's first boss is, because this one will actually screw up Base something fierce. But having an actual boss fight at the end of the tutorial stage might bode well, and then you remember that partway through the prologue stage is a barrier that blocks off a 1-up and requires one of the weapons from a Robot Master in order to blow open. There's no reason to ever come back to this stage. You're not going to find something magically there. Okay, I promise I'm going to stop picking that apart. Let's get on to the actual Robot Masters. First, we have a Dangan Man, who I suppose could have his name translated as Bullet Man or Missile Man. He is literally a set of limbs attached to a missile. It's, I will give the game this, it has some fun Robot Master designs. What it doesn't have is fun or interesting stage gimmicks. Like, this game genuinely does not have stage gimmicks. A minus, like, one. But other than that one stage, we are going to be able to blitz through discussing these stages because there isn't anything to discuss. This stage is probably the easiest to start with, minus the fact that Base has some trouble killing certain enemies before they hit him, but at least the damage in this game is pretty forgiving. Except against bosses, bosses do a lot of damage, but in stages if you die it's because you probably fell in a pit or hit a spike. Dangan Man himself, being strapped to a gigantic bullet missile thing, does exactly what you would expect, which is throw missiles and dive across the arena at you. He is a great demonstration of what I mentioned about Mega Man having trouble jumping over bosses, cause ow. Second up, we have Conroe Man Stage, which, whatever the hell a Conroe is, it's basically like a little portable oven. And if you're hoping I have something to say about the stage, I just got through that. There isn't anything. Conroe Man himself rotates on a fixed pattern between throwing flames from the ceiling and firing out this, like, back-and-forth sliding firewall. But the point is, is he's on a pretty strict pattern, and actually almost every single boss on this game is on a very, very strict and memorizable pattern. And 
To be honest, that's the only reason some of them are reasonable. The third robot master is Komuso Man. And a Komuso, we're talking about like a spiritualist monk type of design here. Naturally, to fit this, the stage itself is actually visually this like mechanical Japanese castle stage that's actually kind of nice. Probably the best looking stage in the game. Once again, though, there's like nothing stage gimmick wise that sets this stage apart and makes it memorable. God, I'm trying really hard not to hate this game unfairly, but its boss is going to make that very difficult for me. He switches between two different attacks. One of them involves deploying a bunch of doppelgangers to the ceiling to throw down projectiles that I'm not 100% sure is even dodgeable as Mega Man. I was literally never able to do it. Base can double jump between the doppelgangers and avoid the spread of shots, but Mega Man can't. Alternatively, he will stand in the center of the arena and create kind of these big pillars of flame that will bounce back and forth and you'll have to keep jumping over them. A lot of the time during this fight, he's just invincible because screw you, I guess. It's extremely hard to dodge his attacks as Mega Man and you're basically going to have to break out special weapons and just beat him first. It's God, this boss fight sucks. The fourth of our initial Robot Master stages is kind of better, though, and it does give me an opportunity to talk about one cool thing about the Wonderswan, which is the fact that it is a rotatable console. If you are holding the Wonderswan traditionally, you have a D-pad on the left and the screen in the middle and an A and B button on the right, basically like a Game Boy Advance. However, however, if you rotate the handheld, Alongside the D-pad is essentially a second D-pad, or a second set of buttons, and you can get a vertical screen like you might in an arcade. And this is actually a really cool thing about the Wonderswan. And to take advantage of that, Aircon Man, yes, as in air conditioning, actually rotates the stage and the entire game, and your stage design is now vertical instead. It's still played left to right, but all the rooms are basically like tall as opposed to long. Now, unfortunately, the stage is garbage. Not in the sense of not having unique features, because this one does, but in having the worst features. Given that this is a largely vertical design, they naturally did the hey, fall down a pit of spikes and avoid them on the way down. Which, it is worth noting, the physics in this game are kind of floaty for Mega Man, and he falls slower than you would expect, and that should make it reasonable if not for the fact that you have to memorize the way down, because there's straight up tricks where you will not be able to dodge if you finish one screen at specific locations. And even once you do figure out your way down the spike pit, there's another section where you have to climb on these balloon things that like float slightly left and right and navigate them through spikes in order to reach ladders at the top of the screen. The precision on this can get really, really nasty, and it does not give you a whole lot of room to jump to the platforms that you need to without jumping too high and jumping into spikes. <sighs> this level is just full of instant death garbage. It's full of Enemy placement that, like, base literally can't do anything about unless he has weapons from other stages or he's going to get hit. Like, ugh. The boss fight is at least decently fun. Once again, fixed pattern. It's between, like, blowing you around while throwing projectiles at you, jumping overhead and trying to catch you between tornado cloud block things that are actually solid and can be jumped on, and then pulling in, like, flipped over metars from off screen. It's just kind of a visual gag. I like Aircon Man as a boss. He's actually got some fun bits to him. Like, the bosses in this game are generally trying to be fairly creative, but I think Aircon Man actually works. At least he's good compared to his stage. Finally, after clearing four Robot Master stages, we do get a fifth Robot Master stage in the Clockmen stage. Plural. 
This stage has a little bit of gimmickiness going on. There's like a Gravity Man segment, except it's really hard to spot where the gravity switches, because it's like these little markers on the floor that you can very easily miss. Also, segments which involve like spring platforms that you have to time your jumps off of, and rising and falling ceilings. This one at least feels like a properly fleshed out Mega Man level and isn't actually all that bad. It's probably the best level in the game. The Clockmen themselves are essentially two wristwatches that are kind of Gemini Man and are also absolutely jazzed to be here. They dance in their opening Robot Master ditty. It's great. After they do a bit of movement around the screen, the main thing that they do is create clock projectiles that form together and then time stop, and then there's just random lightning. So you kind of need to rush them down as soon as you can. They're a neat idea for a boss. The thing that I absolutely hate about fighting them is the fact that the clock projectile that they're like throwing together two halves of just appears in front of them and if you don't know that it's going to be there you just get dunked anyway that has gone a little bit long but that does finally put us at having our weapons So, I mentioned this earlier. One thing that Challenger from the Future does that's interesting is that Mega Man and Base get somewhat different weapons. Not always, but somewhat different weapons. My least favorite weapon in the game is Mega Man's Doppel Crash. This is basically one of the weapons from Mega Man World 5 where you have to charge up and then you get like a dash attack that makes Mega Man invincible. It's just exceedingly short range. You have to be completely still while charging it, and even if the charge is quick, I don't know. I just did not like using this weapon, and I very quickly just stopped pretending I had it. Every weapon from here on is actually pretty solid to ridiculously overpowered, so at least the arsenal in this game is pretty fun to use. Next up is the Rock and Vulcan for Mega Man alone. This is a forward missile shot that, after a short distance, one missile continues traveling forward while two additional missiles arc off and go straight vertical. Sometimes this can help you deal with enemies in awkward locations, which Mega Man does need some help with compared to base. It isn't terribly powerful, but generally when I say it isn't terribly powerful, I mean this is like the one weapon Mega Man gets that doesn't one-shot every random enemy in the game. And it's not super effective against bosses, but it is at least decently ammo efficient even before you get the energy saver, which is the one thing in the shop worth buying. Next up is another one of Mega Man's five weapons, the Flame Shower. This is a very short-range flamethrower, ridiculously short-range. It's kind of silly, but you can hold it out. It consumes ammo very, very slowly if you do. When you release the button, or I think when you jump every once in a while, it just like to release itself, but I can also hold it infinitely sometimes. I don't know. Anyway, when you release it, rather than just vanishing, the flames actually rise straight upwards. And that does help against a handful of rooms in the game. It helps against a mini-boss that I forgot to mention. The other thing that's cool about Aircon Man stage is a mini-boss that is like this giant, just robot up at the top of the screen. Like, obviously, base can shoot straight upwards. Mega Man, I either needs to use the flame shower in order to hit it by releasing the flames so they rise up into the boss, or he actually needs to bounce shots off of infinitely respawning metars in the corner, and the reflected shells off their hard hats actually hit the mini boss. 
off. Really neat and clever. But yeah, this is a very, very short-range weapon that you don't really want to get up in things' faces in this game in order to use it. But it does do damage, and it does give you some vertical coverage. Next is the worst of bases weapons, the Forte Vulcan. This is just your classic homing missile shot, and it absolutely has a pretty notable turning radius that sometimes just can't catch an enemy, and it sucks when that happens. But also, even if it might take two shots to kill enemies with this thing, it is still vastly faster than base's weak pea shooter in this game. And it's a homing weapon that actually does some significant damage, so there's that too. Next up is base's equivalent of the flamethrower weapon from earlier, which is the flame mixer. While you hold the button for this, base just straight up gets surrounded by rotating flames that will one-shot anything you walk into. It lasts as long as you hold the button down, its ammo consumption is extremely slow, and yeah, just like the flamethrower, if you release the button, the spinning flames will just fly up into the air and deal with anything above you. The only thing that prevents this weapon from being nonsense is that other weapons in this game are also nonsense, and also getting up in things' faces can really suck sometimes in this game. Lots of enemies have projectiles. The next three weapons that we have are completely nonsense. First, we have the time switch and the time bomb. This is one of the two identical weapons, it just has a different name. It's essentially like the flash stopper or time stopping weapons we've seen in the series from the really early classic games. We haven't actually seen a weapon like this in a while. It lasts for four seconds on use, and it does consume a fairly significant amount of ammo, yes. Unlike those weapons, though, which usually ran into the problem of, yeah, you stop the enemies, but now how are you going to get around them? The time switch and time bomb just make you straight up invincible for their you cannot attack, so they're not good against the remaining bosses of the game, but literally you just get four seconds of complete invincibility. Now, I'm not sure if it blocks spikes, I never tested it, but I know you can literally walk through bullets and enemies, it's kind of nice. Above that is the other identical weapon, the Barrier Wind slash the Forte Cyclone. This is a wobbling forward shot that is fairly wide, it one-shots every regular enemy in the game, it does an absolute ton of damage to every mid-boss and boss in the game, and it destroys any projectiles it comes into contact with. This thing is absolutely absurd. The only thing that holds this weapon back from being nuts is that it gets caught on any wall it hits, and because of the fact that it wobbles, it doesn't work super well whenever you have to go through like a tight corridor, which does happen quite a bit, to be fair. But that's the only thing holding this weapon back. It is actually insane. The best weapon in this game, though, is base exclusive, and it's the Doppler attack. Now, this thing does consume ammo fairly quickly, but... The Doppler attack makes Base invincible. It transforms him into like four little copies of himself, which all deal damage as basically a damage zone, and it lets you freely move wherever you want. You can fly around, you can literally move through the floor and walls. As long as you are moving pretty much every frame possible, the Doppler attack will deal damage to enemies and bosses. And by the way, enemy and boss invincibility frames in this game is like split seconds. This ability completely demolishes bosses, it allows you to completely trivialize difficult platforming segments. Literally the only bad thing about this weapon is that it is power hungry. It will not last super long, although with the energy saver you can probably get about 20 seconds out of it. And the comedy bit, where if you run out of weapon energy and you reform his base, or you release the button and you're inside a wall, you just instantly die. But that's the only problem with this weapon. It is the most insane thing we have had in Mega Man to date. 
All right. So the weapons were fun, and that's the last good thing I think I have to say about this game, because we have two more stages to go into. As we head into our final two stages, we do meet with Proto Man, and he does warn us, hey, Mega Man Shadow is getting stronger every time you defeat one of the members of Dimension. You should be really careful. But we do have to take down the final member of Dimension, Compass Man, who, interestingly, is a robot master, but we don't get a weapon from him. His stage, it's a stage. It has conveyor belts. That's the most I have to say about this. The boss himself is really weird looking. He kind of feels like an upgraded top man. He splits himself in half and kind of does the sword man thing of like fighting us separately with the bottom and top half at the same time, except both halves are actually mobile. It's not actually a bad boss fight, I suppose. Minus, again, how difficult it is for Mega Man to jump over certain things. And then we finally get to meet Mega Man Shadow face to face. If we're playing as base, Shadow tries to get base to cooperate, and base is just like, yeah, I could go with you to take over the world, but how about I beat you, and then I take over the world? Eh? Eh? If we're playing as Mega Man, though, we get a little bit more actual story, where Shadow tells us, hey, do you remember, like, fighting Quint? Well, yeah, that was your future self that Wily modified. I'm also your future self from another timeline. <laughs> One where Wily's still trying to rule over the world with robots. He claims at this point that to save his world, he has traveled back in time to destroy all robots. This sets us up for a final stage, which has a little bit of everything we have seen to date, and then puts us into the boss fight with Shadow himself. This fight does go through three different phases based on his HP. At the start, he basically fights like Mega Man. He slides, he jumps, he fires a buster. Once we drop him down by about a third of his HP, Shadow does the Quint thing and tries to teleport and dive bomb onto us with the goddamn stupid pogo stick from World 2 that was absolutely so goofy. God, I can't believe they brought this thing back. God, I can't believe they remembered Quint existed. In Phase 3, Mega Man Shadow suddenly gets the ability to start flying. He does dive attacks at us with basically a Z-Saber, which is followed up by a spread of projectiles, and it's really brutal to dodge, and you'd better just break out some special weapons and finish him off really quick. Also, before I get to the ending, I want to note, that was the final stage. There was no boss rush, and Dr. Wily was nowhere to be seen in this game, making this the third game in the classic timeline, alongside Ramu in Super Adventure Rockman and Sunstar in World 5, in which Dr. Wily is not the final boss. And this is where we finally get the ending of the game. Regardless of who we're playing as, Mega Man Shadow basically reveals that he, I think, was Quint the entire time. After Mega Man defeated him, he upgraded himself and started working to become stronger. And the thing is, is he is Mega Man. When he defeats a robot master, he gets new weaponry. He evolves. He grows. He becomes stronger and stronger and stronger, and eventually, in a potential future timeline, became so powerful he ruled the world. But he still wanted to fight more. It was what he'd driven himself to do forever. So he came back to the past in order to fight new opponents, but also hoping that the original Mega Man or base would defeat him. It's a little bit wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey about whether he is 
Quint or whether, like, he talks about Quint in the third person sometimes. And also, I guess the reason he gets stronger with every dimension we beat is he is this Mega Man's future self as well. I don't know. This game is really, really confused. And it's very, very unfortunate because this is a cool concept for a story. Because that is the thing about Mega Man is theoretically he should just be getting stronger and stronger and stronger and stronger and stronger and stronger every single game. At some point, nothing should be able to defeat him anymore. And so it theoretically makes for an interesting villain if this game could keep its story straight. But anyway, Quint thanks Mega Man and Base for defeating him. He tells them both, like, hey, don't follow in my footsteps, don't pursue power just for the sake of power. And then he actually legitimately dies and is buried. Even in Base's ending, it ends with Base being like, listen, Mega Man, I just don't feel like fighting you right now. And they part ways and return to their doctors, and that's that's it. That's Challenger from the future. And to accompany the ending, weirdly, they picked the CD database track, which shouldn't have been able to hit kind of the emotional notes that it needed to, but actually kind of does in the sound font. Okay, so I'm going to cover the sound design very quickly here. This game's music is just the Mega Man and bass music done in the Wonderswan sound font, so I'm not going to highlight three tracks this time. At least it's not that bad musically. The system's capable of some decent music, even if a lot of the time its sound channels in-game are being interrupted by the sounds of the game, because limited sound channels and old hardware and stuff. One thing that isn't great is the sound effects in this game, which gave me PTSD for Mega Man DOS because they sound almost the exact same. And I think bringing up Mega Man DOS here is a great way to transition into my final thoughts on this game. Because, okay, I'm not going to say this game is as bad as Mega Man DOS, but listen. When you die partway through a stage as base, he'll still teleport back in and the start of the next life. And he's got this whole animation that he does where he, like, pretends to charge up. And that was in Mega Man and base as well. The thing is, is in every previous Mega Man game that was worth its salt, when you teleported in, enemies didn't appear until you had control of the game. If they appeared at all, oftentimes checkpoint rooms halfway through stages did not have enemies. In this game, there are several checkpoints when playing as base where you can be almost immediately hit or otherwise put in a basically unsavable situation if you don't immediately switch to the Forte Cyclone, which can negate projectiles. And I feel like that is an excellent demonstration of just what's wrong with this game. This game was not made by Capcom, it was made by Bandai with the license to use Mega Man, and you can tell that this is designed by a bunch of people who only sort of understand what Mega Man is. It's like they got a list of features that were in Mega Man and base and said, oh yeah, we can do this, but didn't understand what they meant or why they worked, or how to even design like a decent platformer, because if they played their own game, they would have realized some of this stuff does not work. 
that some of this stuff is just a straight-up problem. It is very important to Mega Man games that they are reasonably fair, that you can do something about what's about to happen to you. And that's just not the case in this game. There are bits and pieces of this game I think are fun. The Robot Master designs are fun. Some of the Robot Master fights are actually pretty okay. Rockman Shadow's concept is cool. The arsenal is, even if it was probably just fun because it was broken, it was still fun. I did mention that was one of my favorite things about the original Mega Man and Base, and I'm glad they at least got that right. But the overall play experience of this game was honestly one of the worst that I've had to date. Not quite Mega Man DOS bad, but also more frustrating than Mega Man DOS. And it's frustrating because this should be a sequel to a game that I love, and it actually has like a neat plot concept, and there was potential here, and they just completely fumbled it. So I'm going to shove this game aside now, and I'm going to go start looking into the next game. I've got a lot of potential choices for what Mega Man title I'm going to play next, because the 2000s, especially the early 2000s, saw a complete boom in the number of Mega Man titles available. In the meantime, if you've enjoyed the show, please feel free to send me an email, whatamipodcastingfor at gmail.com. Twitter at one of my podcast four is in the number four, or if you just need to download more episodes, waipf.podbean.com. You know the drill by now. Thanks for listening. I've been Garlisle, and just remember, by virtue of having six limbs, Centaur Man qualifies as an insectoid robot master. This has nothing to do with the game that we just played. I just really don't want to think about this game any more than I absolutely have to, and we've only got so many times we're going to be in the classic timeline again, so I just had to share that terrifying piece of knowledge. I'm not getting over this goddamn robot master anytime soon. What the hell? Hey, you want some bonus fun facts? Cool! First off, that stage clear jiggle only exists in the soundtrack CDs. It was never actually used in games. That's how bad they screwed this game up. Also, I kept referring to him as just Shadow during this recording. Now I can't not think of him as Shadow the Hedgehog, and that's... that's not wrong. Where's that damn fourth robot master?